0: Certainly again how blessed it is that we can come together and offer worship to the God of heaven and do so in spirit and in truth according to the commandments He has set forth for us. As I stand before you this morning look over the audience, again we're thankful for the visitors that have come our way. Certainly thankful for the membership as well that things are as well with us today that permit us to assemble in this way. Let me take just a moment on a note of personal privilege, at least in one sense, and also for the good of the congregation to add one announcement I failed to make mention of to to Brother Lester. I apologize, Lester, for that. But let's not forget that uh, the third Sunday Putnam County Singing is here next Sunday, August the 18th at 2 o'clock. A good host of folks from Putnam County will be with us, perhaps even surrounding counties to enjoy a time of lifting our voices together in song. So please put that on your calendar. That's again next Sunday, 2 p.m. Typically here at Pippin that serves as our evening service as well. So typically there's not a 5.30 service on Sunday. So I believe that's the plan of our elders to continue that again next Sunday. So please, please keep that in mind. In addition, let me on behalf of Some 13 men say that yesterday we had a fantastic opportunity. As you know, we've been announcing the elders and deacons and preachers and all of the men of the congregation workshop held at Murfreesboro, the East Main Congregation. And it was a very enjoyable, refreshing, powerful day of preaching. The singing was fantastic. It was just a tremendous day. I think even as you'll notice, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer for if you would like to have copies All of the sermons, all of the presentations, the singing included, are being made available on uh, copies, on on, uh, CDs. So if that would be of interest, please uh, uh, sign up and we'll be happy. When they send them to us, we'll be happy to forward a copy on to you as well. The preachers were James Watkins, Tom Holland, and Glenn Colley. And the lessons were very timely. The lessons were, in fact, very encouraging, and are also such that they were prompting all of us to greater service in the cause of God. I believe to a person, every one of us on the return back were highly complimentary, even looking forward to next year as well if they, of course, continue that next year. So please, if you have opportunity, avail yourself of those tapes. I don't believe you'll be disappointed. Communication with God. The title of the lesson this morning, as you have noted, is that very item. It's what's included in the bulletin. And as we give thought over the next few moments this morning to communicating with God, I hope we'll each be prompted to think about how much the Bible has to say about that and also how prompting and how questioning it is of us to ask, what about the degree of my communication and yours with the God of heaven? It might be fair to say that these introductory comments are certainly in order First of all, what a blessing it is to think about the vital nature of communication. All of us know it well. Marriage needs to have good communication. If the husband and the wife don't communicate well, that marriage is almost surely going to suffer problems. Organizations like businesses and otherwise must have good communication if it's to be efficient, if it is to be productive and if it is going to, in fact, carry out the service intended for that organization. It also must be so in the church. Of course, it must be so between you and me and God. If you and I are to be close to Him, we must communicate with Him. If we are to carry on a deep, profound, useful relationship with Him, being a child of His, we must be close to Him in communication. Isn't it true that a father or a mother wants to be close to their children in communication? Though they may live hundreds of miles apart, nonetheless, they communicate because they love each other. And they communicate, of course, because they want to be there for one another if a need or if encouragement is needed. Suffice it to say that we communicate with God in some ways set forth in the Bible, and we're going to look at that from each of two vantage points. First of all, in what way does God communicate with us? And in addition, in what way do you and I communicate with Him? Let's look at the second one of those first. Let's devote then the first part of the lesson to a discussion of prayer. We each know that we have already engaged this morning a number of times in collective prayer. But in addition, we shall find that the Bible speaks so highly and with such great encouragement about personal prayer Needless to say, one of the questions that we each, I hope, will ask ourselves is how often do I pray? What about the urgency and intensity and meaning of prayer in my life? Is there room for improvement? Is there room for, in fact, a greater degree of appreciation relative to that activity? I hope that some verses will prompt all of us to think more carefully and also more productively about the topic and the subject of prayer. As we begin toward that discussion, let's begin in the following way, please. We each know that the Bible speaks on so many occasions about prayer. It speaks of it in both the Old and New Testament. It speaks of it in ways that are very prompting of personal questions relative to, Do I pray enough? And are my prayers directed on the things they should consider? Let's look at a host of passages beginning like these. Let's in fact listen for a moment to the words of our Master. In Luke 18, verse number 1, As the Lord prompted and began a discussion of what would be a very noteworthy prayer, He said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The implication is that if we do not pray, it's highly likely that we will faint. That means we'll stumble by the way, we'll apostatize, we'll fall aside from the faithfulness and truthfulness and righteousness that that should be descriptive of us. We'll faint. One of the ways, one of the safeguards toward keeping fainting at bay is to pray. And so do you, Randy, do you pray enough? Do you pray as often as you should? And you can put your name in the sentence as well. Men ought always to pray. It's interesting that in that original language, the word always, that adverb that's included, that's not a translator's provision. That's what the Lord said. That men should be frequently involved in, often given to, and very seriously concerning the matter of prayer. I think we each know that prayer is a very essential part of the life of a person interested in being godly, a person interested in having a strong communication with God, surely. But just as surely as Jesus said it like that, perhaps He Himself is a prime example of prayer. How often do we find in the sacred text our Lord engaging in prayer? Let me select three occasions and ask you to reflect on them for a moment with me. In Mark 1, verse 35, early on in the gospel according to Mark, we find the following very interesting, prompting, and powerful passage. On that occasion, the inspired writer diagrammed Jesus' life like this. It says, And when it was morning, He rose up a great while before day, and went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. As you think about that passage with me, notice what it said, The Lord got up early. He rose before perhaps he otherwise would have. And the express purpose for which he devoted that time of day was for the purpose of prayer. Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes you and I get up early to go play golf. Or we get up early to get started mowing the yard. Or we get up early to begin a vacation trip. How often have you or I ever gotten up early to pray? It's a good question, isn't it? Perhaps also think of it like this. Jesus, of course, was God in the flesh, Matthew one twenty three. He was the second member of the Godhead. He is, of course, the one who had access to all power, majesty, and might. He could work miracles. He had complete and thorough understanding of all that was godly. And yet He prayed. What might that speak about someone so unworthy such as I? whose knowledge is not complete, whose power is so incredibly limited, whose understanding is extraordinarily finite. If the Lord needed prayer, how much more do I need it? If the Lord needed the time devoted to prayer, to beseeching His heavenly Father, how much more do I need it? He rose up early, Mark 1.35, to go out before it was day so that He could pray. Sometimes you and I might be in a position that we have been tempted to make the statement or we've heard others say, I'm so busy I don't have time to pray. We should turn that around. I am so busy I'll make time to pray. So many activities in life that take your attention and mine, they overwhelm us as if it's a great overwhelming flood. Oh, how we need the help of our Heavenly Father to assist us over the dangers, the pitfalls, the difficulties, just for the strength to master over the day. What about another example in Luke 6 verse 12? We find on this occasion in that verse and the one that followed that Jesus prayed all night long and then when it was morning He called His disciples and of that number He selected those that would be the Apostles. Notice, on this occasion, the Lord entered into prayer for the great purpose of the next day. Again, do you and I specifically devote prayer when a major decision is coming? When there is a particular activity, a particular approach or pursuit, something that may have consequences for the rest of our life or those that we love. Do we, do, do we devote an especially larger amount of time to beseech God to help us and be with us, to guide us, direct us? It is a good question, isn't it? You'll notice that in that particular matter, perhaps one more, we do remember in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus on that night prior to His crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane where He went on that evening, we recall that there He entered into prayer and the Prayer was so intense, it was so earnest, that Luke, in fact, informs us that the sweat was as drops of blood. Can we not see then in considerations like that when our Lord found prayer that needful, that important, and that vital? Do you and do I? Prayer can be easy to overlook, isn't it? But yet, may I say that prayer is the most powerful thing that you and I have easy access to daily. And sometimes we're tempted to overlook it. We treat it as trivial. We allow it to slip. No wonder then we might be in a position to faint because the Lord said we likely would. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You'll notice not only is Jesus an example, but also consider with me this. Amazingly, we so interestingly find references also to Daniel. You recall the scene in Daniel chapter 6 with me? Daniel, in fact, had risen to high position in the government of that day. But as he had done so, the God of heaven was with him, of course. And we recall that there were some associates of his who were jealous of him. In fact, they were so jealous that they, behind his back, had the king sign a decree such that nobody could pray to any deity of any kind by way of beseech or supplication for 30 days. Well, what was Daniel to do? He was of the habit of the important consideration of praying regularly. And his friends, those associates of his, knew exactly that that was the circumstance and thus that prompted this secretive decree. But Daniel 6 verse 10 says that even after he knew the decree had been signed, he went to his normal place of prayer, he opened the window facing Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. The decree didn't change a thing. This man had a communication with God that was more important than any kingly decree and it would not be set aside for any consideration of man. What does that say about you and I? Are there those that can keep us from praying because we don't want to offend them? Because we wish not to disturb them? May it never be so. May we understand that prayer is important It's good for our souls. It's good examples for those who may be observant of us. And certainly our children need to be well aware of how important prayer is to you and I as parents and as grandparents. Prayer. Can you recall times that you saw your dad or mom in prayer or your grandparents or aunts or uncles and how in time that has become so meaningful to you? These examples of Jesus and also of Daniel Perhaps bring us also to another. What was that statement Paul made in the closing chapter of 1 Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, a rather short passage actually, just three words. He said, pray without ceasing. To those Thessalonians, Paul, in the midst of those other words of admonition to them, he reminded them, pray without ceasing. You'll notice on the slide that that has reference to an unceasing character meaning constantly involved in, in the sense of of being always ready and feeling comfortable and capable of prayer. All of these examples so far have prompted us notably to ask personally about our prayer lives. How often do I pray and what about you? Do you feel a bit guilty? At times, I admit I do, I wonder, should I have prayed more? The decisions of a day come upon me, and sometimes, as I'm sure it does you, things develop that you didn't see coming. What if I had prayed more intensely? Could I have been better prepared? Could I have been better keen in terms of appreciating what was going to happen? Prayer is meaningful. You'll notice on that slide, furthermore, we are able to see that there is tremendous power in prayer. We all know that already. James said it like this in James 5:16: "...the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." People who are faithful and godly and righteous, when they pray, it has impact. It carries with it benefits. You and I may in the short term not see them because God's timetable is always the best. But we can rest assured, because the inspired Scripture set it forth, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I stated earlier the great power in prayer, and perhaps that verse highlights it so easily. You and I have power to impact not only the ways of our life, but the ways of our family, the ways even of a nation. When a nation is such that its leaders are prayed for by those that are faithful, we must appreciate that God and His infinite providence and wisdom can bring about that which is His will and that for which His faithful have prayed. No wonder we're admonished in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So do you and I pray for this country as we should, for our leaders as we should, for those in high positions as we should? The questions are legion, aren't they? They are pointed directly at you and at me. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, another aspect of the power of prayer is highlighted when on that occasion Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Do we believe what Jesus said? He said, if you ask, seek and knock, you in fact will receive. You and I appreciate those were the words of the Master, weren't they? The Lord Himself uttered those things. It wasn't just some other individual. It was the One who in fact came down from heaven... To help us appreciate the grandeur and greatness of communication with God. Maybe that communication is highlighted also in this aspect of prayer. In Revelation, the eighth chapter, we find this rather graphic and vivid description in which the prayers of the saints are graphically described as ascending up as sweet incense to heaven. May you and I never think our prayers ascend no higher than this ceiling. May we never think they rise no higher than the roof of our house for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man actually ascends before the very throne room of God. What a great thing to appreciate. You'll notice that prayer, of course, should be offered with a number of descriptives, a number of attitudes, and here's just a brief sampling of some of them. You and I, as you can see, should be individuals who ask with humility. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4, 6. As we thus approach God, we should do so humbly, respecting the fact He is great and we are not. He is infinite and we are not. He is mighty and we are not. As we approach Him thus with humility, understanding the greatness of His will, How sweet it is to understand that that can be so very prompting relative to our prayer life. Not only is humility important, we see it perhaps that idea in the next. Highlighted in that very interesting scene unfolded for us in Luke the 18th chapter. Beginning in verse 10 of that chapter, we remember Jesus spoke about a Pharisee and a publican. And you recall how that went. They had both gone to the time of prayer. And first of all, the reference to the Pharisee is made. And oh, how grand supposedly his prayer was. I thank thee I'm not like these others, including this publican. I tithe twice in a week. I fast as I'm commanded. It's almost as if God should have been rewarding him for all his goodness and godliness. But on the other hand, that lowly publican would not so much as lift up his head upward if you please, but rather he smote his breast and said, God be merciful to me a sinner. This one understood better than the Pharisee that God was the great one and not him. And he was beseeching God to be merciful to him who was just a lowly sinner. Isn't it true that humility is needed? That avenue of thanksgiving appears of course as you and I think about prayer. We stated it earlier from Philippians 4, 6, but isn't it true in Ephesians five twenty that Paul says all things should be done with thanksgiving. How thankful are we in prayer? Are we more often to ask God for something? Give me this. Provide me with that. Help me with this other. Do we thank Him as much as we should? Are you thankful for your husband, your wife, your children, the health you have? The house, the job, the career, the profession, the strength of body and mind. Are we as thankful as we should be? Prayer is an avenue by which we could express such heartfelt appreciation and thanks to God. And how very moving it is, for it really impacts us. As we are thankful to Him, it prompts us to always be mindful that He is the blesser and giver of these things. Isn't it still true that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above? and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, just either shadow of turning, James 1.17. May we say, as we come near the close then of that slide, that it's also important to pray with confidence, to pray in faith, as James would say it in James 1, verses 5-8. through 8. Notice that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. James 1, verses 7 and 8. And so when we ask, we should appreciate that in confidence, if we ask according to His will, that we understand He can bring about that for which we've prayed. Perhaps in light of that, the next slide will just amplify that thinking like this. As we've discussed prayer to this point, notice that it is important to ask in Jesus' name. In fact, wasn't it true in John 14, 13 that He specifically told His apostles to ask that way? That whatever you ask in My name, and thus how significant it is that you and I are able to conclude our prayer with the thought and the confidence and the great reliance that those things we've prayed, if they've been in accordance to His will, that He can, in fact, when we ask in His name, bring them about May we never thus forget to ask in our prayers that we ask in His name. But not only to ask in His name, 1 John 5, 14 again highlights that thought we've just recently mentioned, namely that it, of course, be according to God's will. We each know that sometimes our short-sightedness does lead us to ask something that's not in the final analysis in the best interest of His will or even our own. We can be so thankful in those cases that God does not answer the prayer the way we ask it. Can't we? We can be thankful that He led us in a pathway that is different than the way we, that we ultimately prayed. I can think of instances in my own life. Better than 20 years ago now, I prayed for something and I'm so thankful He did not answer that prayer the way I asked it. It was not in my best interest and in my foolishness, I didn't know it. Maybe you've been in a circumstance similar to that. God's way is best always. And may we thus pray in the Lord's name and according to His will, y'all. What was it the Lord began His prayer with in Matthew chapter 6? As He taught His own disciples to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let's pause at that point after those initial great reactions and responses to the marvelous wonder of God, we notice He next said, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. May we have that thought always in mind, even if we don't expressly state it in our prayer, that we want His will to be done. For He is the one that's infinite in wisdom. Psalm 147 verse 5. He is the one that's almighty in knowledge. He is the one who in fact is sovereign over all things. So far prayer has prompted me at least in many, many ways. Things I need to work on. Things I need to be more careful about. But you'll notice that we have some more things to say. It is true that in our prayer life, that prayer should prompt us to action prompt us into bringing about as much as possible the things that are God's will in our life. You'll notice then that prayer isn't the only exercise that is of a spiritual nature, is it? Prayer alone won't save me, and it won't save you either. But oh, how needful it is day by day in the life of a Christian, the life of an individual devoted unto God. In fact, in the ancient day of Joshua, there's a very stirring scene that unfolds in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. We recall well that the children of Israel were making their way into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, but that it was currently occupied by those who were to be cast out. Jericho was the first city, of course, to be attacked. Jericho, mighty and strong. And we recall ultimately through the providence and power of God, the wall of the city fell. And the people did, of course, go in. But something next happened. Achan stole some things that were to be devoted to the treasury of God, and he took them for his own personal benefit. He hid them under his tent. Israel lost the next battle. Though it was against the small little community of Ai, they were resoundingly defeated. Joshua was beside himself. How could this be? You remember he fell on his face and prayed. God said, Joshua, get up and purge sin from the camp. Prayer wasn't the only thing that Joshua nor Israel needed to be doing. There's sin in the camp. Purge sin and then things will be well with you. And so Joshua proceeded to do that. Achan was ultimately discovered. What he had done was unfolded and revealed. They purged sin from the camp and then they went on to more victories over the cities in Canaan. But you'll notice God said, Joshua, get up and purge sin from the camp. So in my life, as I pray, that prayer should prompt me to recognize if there's ungodliness, if there's iniquity, that I should work on attempting to keep that at bay, to work on removing it, to beseech God to help me, and to try to live more faithfully and more righteously each day. And each of us can do that, can't we? You'll also notice on that same slide, that same thought then easily leads us to 1 John three twenty-two. As we come near the close of that third chapter of the First John book, we find that we have a great stirring prompting to obedience. For you'll notice he says, God does answer our prayers. Why? And we are pleasing to Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments. If we do not obey the Lord, we shouldn't expect Him to answer our prayers. In fact, He has never promised He would. If we rebel against Him, stubbornly refuse to do what He has commanded, refuse to repent of sin, we shouldn't expect Him to answer our prayer in the way we've prayed it because we are not His children. We are a rebel to Him. You'll notice He says He obey, he in fact answers our prayer because we keep His commandments. And so the question, do I keep His commandments? Are there things I am keeping hidden from others things that I'm purposefully doing because I like them, though they're disobedient to Him. If so, God doesn't, hi- God doesn't like that thing. He hates that thing, and I should hate it too. May I say to you then that as we give thought to prayer, it does bring us to that bottom consideration. Isn't it amazing and isn't it interesting that prayer is then one side of this communication It is a way for you and me to approach the throne room of God. Picture the scene with me a moment. The greatest being of all, God. Able to control this universe, everything in it, everything beyond it. He is all. He always is. He always was. He always will be. He's infinite in every regard that matters positively. He hates evil. He loves good. He loves with all this perfectness about the nature of that love. And yet I and you have the opportunity to approach Him, to place upon Him the concerns and cares of our heart, to shed tears sometimes in prayer because something bothers us soul, and to realize He can help me. He can help me. He can lead me, guide me, give me instruction through His Word. Shame on me then if I neglect prayer if I refuse it, if I turn to something else, if I seek my own wisdom or the wisdom of men solely and leave God out of the equation. Today, as we have studied prayer, may I say to you, it will prompt us to give thought to the other side of this coin next Lord's Day morning. Again, the other side will be, if you and I are able to speak to God through prayer, to thank Him, to beseech Him, to offer supplications to Him? How does He react and how does He respond? How does He communicate with me? We will unfold that in some detail next Lord's Day morning. But let me use the closing moment of the lesson to ask a final set of questions for all of us. I hope our study of prayer has been helpful and useful, beneficial to us, maybe prompting to us not to allow this to slip and be something we look upon with trivialness. But may we re- respect it again as something very needful, very vital, and very important in life. Perhaps you and I can be more urgent and earnest in prayer to pray without ceasing. Maybe you and I, like Daniel, even when he knew that others would not look favorably upon it, it did not deter him. Maybe you and I will not be deterred either. May I say, though, as we close this lesson, if you aren't a faithful child of God, you do not have the avenue of prayer. You do not have. That means whereby you can apply to one so much greater than you. You are all you have. And though it's no insult, may I say, from the perspective of eternity, that's not much. You need God in your life. You need to be able to communicate with Him. You need to be able to approach Him, thank Him, ask Him, beseech Him, and beg Him to help you. If you can't do that today, don't leave this building without doing something about it. If you aren't a faithful member of the body of Christ, it may be you've never obeyed the gospel initially. It may be you've heard hundreds of prayers in your life led by somebody else. You've witnessed it. You've watched it. And maybe you've never considered till today how important it was. But if you are not able to beseech God as your Father, notice Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven. Can you call Him your Father? Are you His child? If you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, then you cannot call Him Father. We are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, and we're baptized into Christ. Today, if we could assist you in your obedience to the gospel, why why delay, why procrastinate? You need to believe with all your heart Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be baptized simply, openly, and honestly. At that point, He'll add you to the church, and you'll be able to pray like never before. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, and you at one time knew the power of prayer, you knew how great it was, and you knew what a comfort and solace it was to life. But you've allowed that to pass by. You've become so busy, so frenzied, so frenetic, so hurried in life that prayer has just dropped by the wayside. Please come back to the importance of prayer. Rededicate your life to the thought of it. If we could help you in a public way, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. But even in, in private, may we be more devoted to prayer. Our nation needs it. We each need it. Our church needs it. If we could help you today in either of these ways publicly... Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?